Okay, so uh, so we are uh, learning today Daf Lamed Aleph in Psachim. We are on the bottom of Lamed Amud Bet. Um, it's uh, the new Mishnah, and says like this: Nochri sheilvat Yisrael al chametzo achar pesach mutar banav Yisrael sheilvat nochri al chametzo achar pesach asur banav. So the issue is here, and this is uh, this becomes uh, complex when we're dealing with. Um, Ownership of chametz. Now, obviously, chametz that's owned by a Jew during Pesach becomes a bahana'a prohibited, and chametz that's owned by a non-Jew on Pesach is not prohibited in, in benefit because it's uh, you know it's allowed to be owned by the non-Jew. The question is when you have complicated financial relationships. So, for example, nochrishe hilvat yisrael chametzo means that a non-Jew lent money to a Jew, but it's on the uh, the mashkon, the um, the collateral of the Jew is the is chametz. Let's say it's beer or something like that. I don't know, but I guess beer is more complicated with the status of beer. But let's say let's say uh, bread, whatever. It's a, he he uh, flour is the is the mashkon. It's the collateral of the loan. So it says if a non-Jew lends the Jew money on the chametz of the Jew, meaning the chametz of the Jew is the collateral. So then it becomes as if the non-Jew. Uh, possesses that chametz during Pesach. We're going to see what case exactly it's talking about because it can't be in all cases, obviously. And then the Jew that lends money to the non-Jew on al chametzo means that the uh, the collateral of the loan. The Jew gives a non-Jew a loan, and the non-Jew promises his chametz as the collateral. So then it's going to be a surbahana because basically because the lender has rights in the chametz of the non-Jew. Uh, it, we're going to say that it uh, belonged to the Jew. Since in this case the lender is a Jew, it belonged to the Jew during Pesach. So that, it's not going to be as simple as the Mishnah sounds. So don't get so nervous. Or what about the stocks that I own and things like that? Everybody always asks. Just wait one second. So Gemara is going to talk about it. now. It says Itmar stated as follows: Balchov uh, in general, a Balchov, a person who has a um, who who is a creditor. Okay. So the the question is when I come if I am a creditor to somebody I lent money to someone or uh, whatever they owe me money and I come and I collect when am I considered to have come into possession of the money that I collect or the assets that I collect to uh, to satisfy the debt am I considered to be the uh, possessor of that from the beginning from the inception of the debt and because I had the right to take it all along uh, so, or because uh, so limafreya we say like uh, retroactively it's as if it, it belonged to me from the beginning and this is just a clarification that I'm coming to take it but really it belonged to me from the beginning or do we say no this is a new thing that since the guy defaulted on his loan or uh, debt so now I'm coming to claim his asset and uh, it's a new kinyan it's a, it's a totally new acquisition it's not the original relationship anymore so the question is so Rava says Abaye says that it's limafreya that from the fact let's say I can, let's say your car is the collateral for the loan. So when I come to take possession of the car to satisfy the debt because you weren't able to pay it, so now that's it's as if I had the car for the last month since I lent you the money or whatever. And similarly, if you lent me money on, uh, uh, you know, on, on whatever item, you know, my watch, so, uh, and then you come to collect the watch at the end of the 30 days, so it's as if you had the watch all along. Now, of course, when it comes to chametz, it's going to be more complicated because if I lend something to somebody and it's as if I had that in my possession all along and it's chametz, so now I'm going to be in trouble. That's we're going to see. But now, kule, so, so the issue is like this. So Abaye says it's retroactive, and Rabba says no, it's mikanu le'abat, it's a new phenomenon. So kule, chadakdish la loveh. So everybody agrees that if, let's say, the lender, I'm sorry, the borrower, right? So the person borrowed money uh, from you and he gave, his, uh, <laughs> he gave his car as his collateral. And then he goes and he sells the car. Okay, so now, but then he defaults on the loan. 
So what happens? So according to the, so now I'll go collect the, uh, I'll go and collect the car from uh, whoever he sold it to. Or let's say Makadish, he, go, he, he consecrates his uh, car to the Bet HaMikdash, whatever, his, his asset. Okay, so now I can go and I can take it back from Hekdesh actually because it was, it was, it was uh, you know, uh, I, there was a lien on it. You know, I, I was able to take it because it was, a, it was a collateral for a loan that I, belonged to me. Okay, so I'm allowed to go take it even from Hekdesh. In that case. So in that situation, Ate Malve Vitarif, that's what it always says. He comes and he's, he takes it. Okay? Now, Vate Malve Uparik, and in fact, he can even come and take it back from Hekadesh. We learned that in Mishnah, we actually learned this in Arachin. He has to actually give a little bit to Hekadesh. He can't just come pull it out of the Hekadesh because you can't just let the, something that went into Hekadesh come out for free. There's a question of who has to pay that little bit of extra. Is it the, is it the uh, lender or the borrower? Um, the machloket about that, but the point is that uh, that he can come and he can seize it because it was there was a lien on it uh, as a result of the debt, and uh, and and he has the right to go and collect it, even if it changed hands in between. Okay, now, uh, so now the question is like this: So that everybody agrees. In other words, if the borrower, uh, the whole concept of having collateral is that if the borrower goes and he sells it, that item, or that asset that's supposed to be uh, set aside for satisfying the debt, that obviously the 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 lender is allowed to go after it. Otherwise, what would be the point? Okay, but what about the Malve? Let's say the Malve says, I know this guy's going to default on, the, it's, a, it's a bad loan, you know, I know that the guy's going to, I just want the guy's car, you know, so I, I lent him this money because I know that he's going to default on it, I'm going to take the loan, so I'm going to take the asset, so therefore, he already sold the car, right? He said, I, I know that that guy's car is going to be mine because he's not going to pay me, I'm going to take his car, so, and he sold it in advance, or he was Makadish, he already, he already promised it to the Beit HaMikdash. According to Abaye, the, the sale is good. In other words, let's say, for example, the guy, uh, the, the, the lender has, uh, you know, the, uh, t- gives, a, gives a loan to the borrower. The borrower promises his car as... The collateral, and uh, and so this lender says, well, I don't really need this car. It's probably not such a good car. So he goes and he sells it to somebody else in advance, knowing that in 30 days he's going to possess the car. Okay? And he makes a contract, and he says... Speculation. Right, it's somewhat speculative, but he's assuming. Now, when it comes out that the guy really defaults on the loan, now he has the car. The question is, did the original sale work? Now, let's say this lender gets the car, and he sees it's a really nice car. He's like, maybe I made a mistake. You know, I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have sold the car in advance. It's a good car. So now what does he want to do? He wants to go back to the, uh, to the, sell, the person that he sold the car and say, you know, I, I didn't really possess the car when I sold it to you, halachically, so I didn't have a right to sell you the car, so therefore you, the, the sale was void. So Abaye is saying, no, since retroactively it says if he had it all along, so therefore the sale is not void. And therefore he was able to sell it even in advance of having full possession. Rava says, no, it's only from the time that you actually come and pick up the asset that you are uh, considered to possess it. Since if the borrower had cash, she wouldn't have let this guy take his, his car. Right, he would have he would have paid him. So So it's a new kinyan altogether. That the, the when the borrower comes to take possession of the car, it's a totally new kinyan because otherwise the lender would have satisfied him by paying in cash, which is the ideal when you when you get a loan. So therefore, <clears throat> so therefore, the, the machlok of the will be relevant to our case. It's, it hasn't got, gotten to that point yet, but it will be relevant to this case, obviously, because according to Abaye, that when you lend something and the collateral is chametz, if you're considered lemafreya. 
that she really owned the, the, the collateral all along. So that means you own the chametz all along. And according to Rava, that no, uh, you only become the possessor of it afterwards. So then if the term of the loan concludes after Pesach, so then even if you came and collected, you know, whatever the asset was, the, the chametz was, you, w- you wouldn't be, uh, uh, you have con- considered to have owned it during Pesach. So it would be okay. So that, that would seem to be the connection, but the Gemara is not up to that yet. First, we're going to ask a question about on Rava's, question, on Rava's point. That Rava is saying that the, the Kenyan, the acquisition of the collateral only occurs after the loan is defaulted on and I go and I collect it. Right? So, we have a complicated case here as we, uh, you know, the, uh, always in, uh, in the Bavot and in the uh, in Ketubot, they try to contru- construct the most complicated uh, mind-bending cases. So, it's not that complicated relative to what you find, but Reuven sells us a, 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 a field to Shimon. This probably happens Masim B'chol Yom, this type of thing anyway, right? Reuven sells us uh, sells the field to Shimon. Bachrayut. Bachrayut, usually, what, what that means is basically there's a, uh, he's guaranteeing it, which is, it's sort of like what we have title insurance for nowadays, but, um, you know, but they didn't have title insurance companies back then. I'm sure they did. They probably had loan sharks that uh, served as independent title insurance, but the, uh, but the way they would do it was if you had a contract that you purchased a field, so implicit in most contracts would be uh, and actually, it's a machloket if it's automatic, or if it's, um, or, or if it's, uh, you know, if it has to be stipulated, or, or it's derabanan, or whatever. But the point is that in, in, in the idea of achrayut, which means that if I sell you a field, the assumption is that there's no other claims on that field, and therefore it, that's like title insurance, Police. basically. Yeah. yeah. And so, therefore, if somebody were to come and say, "Hey, wait a second, the seller owed me a million dollars, and I want that field, and he doesn't have the cash, and I want that field to pay the to, to pay the debt," so now the buyer can come back to the original seller and say, "I had to give the I had to give your property, your asset, to this uh, creditor, so now I want my money back." Right. And now there can be a court case between them. Right, if it's shelobachrayut, shelobachrayut means uh, at your own risk. Right, right. It's a, it's it's a, as is, and uh, you know it's your problem. So mo- the, obviously you get a better deal if you're willing to uh, take that risk. But if somebody is unwilling to uh, have achrayut in the contract, you got to worry that there's a reason, right? Any, anywhere, this is the halacha of the of kinyanim. Property yeah, property law. So, so what happens here? Ruven sells ba'achrayut to Shimon, meaning that Ruven says, "I'm selling this to you, and if anybody else comes to claim it, I'll back it up." Okay, But the only thing is that Shimon also doesn't pay. Shimon takes it on uh, credit also. So he has a mortgage or whatever. He's a, it doesn't seem like a mortgage, but it seems like he's going to pay all at once. But later, okay. So it's a he takes it on credit. He takes the field on credit. So he, he says, let, so Reuven gives the field to Shimon. It's a million dollar field. Shimon doesn't pay the million dollars. He says, I'm going to pay you in the future, whatever. We, we have an agreement. So it's a complicated relationship because on one hand, there's achrayut here. On one hand, if the field gets taken away from Shimon because somebody comes and claims it, so uh, he, has, he has the right to go back to Reuven and ask for uh, his money back. But he actually didn't pay yet, right? So, so then what happens to complicate it further? Umet Reuven. Now Reuven dies. So the original uh, seller slash uh, guarantor is now dead, and, uh, and lender, basically, is now dead because he's the seller and the lender. And now, Vatabal Chov de Ruven, and look at, uh, you know, the further development is that now a creditor actually does come, and he comes and he takes the field from Shimon. So now Shimon, who owed a million dollars to Ruven, Ruven died. 
Right? He owed a million dollars for the field to Reuven. Reuven died. He, and now the field was taken away from him. So what could Shimon do? Now, if Reuven was alive and the field was taken away from him, he could have gone back to Reuven and asked for his field back. He still owes him a million dollars, but he would, have, he would ask for the... He, or either they would cancel the, uh, uh, the transaction or he would ask for another field or it would... Whatever. Okay? But, the, uh, but now, now the field's gone. But Shimon says, I don't want to give up the field that I bought. From, uh, from Reuven. I like this field. I'm going to pay the creditor off. Okay? So he pays Reuven's creditor off. So what did he do? Money that really he should have given, let's say, to Reuven, if Reuven had been alive, he would have paid, uh, he, he would have paid Reuven directly the money. Instead, he pays it to the creditor so he can keep the field. Okay? So in a way, he's basically satisfying the obligation of Reuven in order to hold on to the, in order to hold on to the field. Okay? But Reuven is actually not alive anymore. So now what happens is like this, that dinahu, the actual rule is, You just messed yourself up. Why? Because they can say to him, technically speaking, the halacha is that money that's left to the orphans, there's no shiabud, which means that the, the creditors cannot take the cash that's inherited by the yitomim, by the, by the uh, orphans. They can only take the property that's inherited by the orphans. And that was done in order to protect the orphans from, you know, unscrupulous people trying to take advantage of them. And they don't really know what their, uh, what their father's assets were, what the business was. They don't really know. So anything, so generally speaking, you know, properties and real estate was more carefully documented and they didn't have to worry about ex- so much exposure of risk for the, for the Yotomim. So therefore they, they protected them by saying they can only collect from land. What does that mean? That means that you paid off something that we wouldn't have had to pay. Because actually, if that guy had come to us and asked for the money, since we don't have any land right now, and we only had money, we wouldn't have had to pay him. You went and paid him for nothing. Okay, so guess what? You still owe us the money. You still owe us a million bucks because, uh, because you owed our father a million dollars. The million dollars that you paid to this creditor was throwaway because we didn't actually have to pay it because they would not have been able to extract it from us in a court of law. So therefore, you went ahead and made a mistake, and, uh, and, and, and that's your problem. So what does he say? So what should Shimon do in a case like this then? What should he do? It says, he should, it says, Shimon. If Shimon is smart, this is what he should do. He should pay the, now, in other words, he already paid off the creditor, so now he, he, he depleted his cash. So what should he do? Instead of giving the kids, the Tomim, money, so now he gets a double whammy because he paid off the creditor of, Shi- uh, of Reuven and he also is going to have to pay this, the kids the million dollars. He should give them land instead. And then he can collect it back from them because the field was taken away. In other words, he was, what he really could have done was, in a, since if Reuven had been alive, whether Shimon had paid off the creditor in land or in money, he could come back to Oven and say that I just got, uh, you know, I, there was a claim on your land and you guaranteed it, right? But he can't do that to the children because he can't claim cash from them. But what he could do is give them land and then say, hey, I satisfied the obligation of your father. Give me the land. Now, what does that presuppose, though? That, uh, young. Yeah, not, not necessarily. They're not adults. They weren't involved yet in, the, in business. That's, that's, let's just assume that. They're kids. So, so what happens? He, 
so what he can do is he can give them land instead and then claim the land back because land from Yitomim you're allowed to take, just not cash. And since he had to spend out of his money, the, the settlement of the, uh, of the issue uh, with the creditor of Reuven, so now he can come and collect his money back from the kids, but not in the form of money, in the form of land. But, but the only weird thing is this, that they didn't have that land at the time that the father died. They didn't have, the father never had that land. What is that land? That land is basically payment for the field that he bought. Right? Because Shimon never paid Reuven originally. So by giving land to the kids right now, he's settling his debt to Reuven by paying them in land. If he pays them in cash, the cash is gone. But if he pays them in land, now we can turn around and say, I just paid you guys in land for, the, uh, uh, for the, what I owed you, but I also paid out the, uh, you know, the uh, lien that was on the, uh, on the property that I bought from your father. So give me back the land to pay for that. Okay, and, and he's allowed to do that. So, okay, but what do you see? Because it says that if you have uh, orphans that collect land, they co- instead of, in other words, they're allowed to collect the debts of their father, and let's say they collect it in cash, fine, then there's nothing that you can do about it. But if they collect it in land, so even though they didn't possess it at the time that their father died, a creditor of their father who thought that he had no recourse because there was only cash floating around, now he can come and collect it from the Yitomim. Even though the Yitomim, the father never had that land, because that land came into the possession of the orphans after the father died to pay other debts. Okay, still. So what does that show you? Now, only according to Abaye's understanding of how collection works, does this make sense? Because if you say that whatever now comes into the possession of the orphans to satisfy the obligations, or to satisfy obligations to their father, right, was really owned by their father all along. Limafreya, retroactively, we say it says if the father had that land all along because it was all coming to satisfy obligations to him that he could have collected during his lifetime, hypothetically. So therefore, it says if he had all that land before and therefore, whatever other obligations he had to other people also fall upon that, upon that land and can be satisfied with that land. So then it makes sense that now Shimon pays one obligation to the Yitomim with land, and then collects in his own oblig- his own uh, uh, de- uh, you know uh, credit from uh, uh, from uh, uh, from Reuven with the same land. He can do it, right? But if you say but if you say that when a person collects, and so therefore when these orphans are collecting land to satisfy obligations to their father that were never settled. If you're going to say that, that's, that right now they're coming into possession of it, so then then how can you ever say that now I'm going to come and collect it back from you? It doesn't make sense. Because these are new acquisitions of the orphans, according to Rava's interpretation. Rava was saying that when a creditor collects money or assets from someone who owes them, that, that collection is happening right now. It's not as if they had that all along. If you consider it that it's as if they had it all along, so then you could say that the father's debts were also connected to this land because it's as if he had collected it already and already obligated and mortgaged it out to, uh, to, other, uh, you know, to other promises that he made and other commitments he had. But if you're saying that the orphans are just getting it now, so then how can you retroactively apply obligations of the father to that land? So how can Rava say that? So the so the Gemara says, 
כי היחיד משתבדנה לילה אבוכון, משתבדנה נמי לבעל חובדה אבוכון. He'll say that just like I was mortgaged, okay, to your father, in other words, just like I owed your father, I owed also בעל חוב דבוכון. I also owed the creditor of your father. In other words, whenever you have a situation where A owes B money and B owes C money, A owes C money, right? That's, that's, that's the way that it works. מידי רבי נתן, דתני רבי נתן אומר, מנהי לנושה בחברו מנה, בחברו ובחברו, שמוצאים מזה ונותנים לזה. When you have three people, and number one owes number, th- number two money, number two owes number three money, you can just take the money right from number one and give it to number three. You don't, ha- you don't need the middle man. Right? You don't need the middleman. Okay? How do we know that? Talmud Lomar, Venatan l'asher asham lo. So they learned it from the Pasuk l'asher asham lo, that it means that whatever, whoever the ultimate obligation is, okay, that's where, the, uh, that's where the money can go and we can skip the middleman. So therefore, what does Rashi say? He says that, what, is the, what does the guy say? He says, Le'olam mikanu lehabau gofeh. You don't have to assume that when a creditor collects, it's happening retroactively. Could be that it's happening right now. The only thing is or that, uh, um, uh, uh, that, the, that the reason why you can do it here is because the balchov, right? He, he says, because mishum de amalehen balchov la'yitomim. I'm reading from the Rashi. He says, because the balchov, the creditor, will say to the orphans, mikoch mi batem uvitem karkazo, mikoch shibut shel avichin. That where did you get the power to collect this money from the power of your father? Because your father had certain uh, credits. He, had, he was holding debt of other people. So therefore you, uh, you're collecting it. So, Just like now you're collecting land. From people who borrowed from your father, and that's to satisfy the obligation. So then, I, as someone who lent money to your father, have a right to it as well. In other words, since somebody who owes your father money really owes me money, if somebody owes the father a thousand dollars, and and the father owes a thousand dollars to a third party, so really the person who owes him a thousand dollars should just pay it out to the third party. Right? That's what the halakha is. That's what he says. So Shimon says, Just like my uh, assets were, uh, were encumbered to your father. I mean, I, I owed money to your father. Right? The funny thing is, I have an obligation to your father and an, and, and an obligation to myself at the same time simultaneously, basically. Because I owed your father the money, but your father owed me back the field. So he's playing both parts, basically, in this case. He's playing, he's playing the creditor and, and the debtor at the same time. Because he's saying, on one hand, I owed your father the money for the field that I never paid him. On the other hand, he owes me the field back because I got taken, uh, I had to pay out, he, he paid out cash. But the point is that he could have given up the field too. So he's saying, I'm playing both parties. And therefore, I'm paying myself back. Right? Meaning, I, from owing your father the money that he owes me, I owe myself the money. So I'm giving it to you and I'm taking it back. Right? And so it's not, it has nothing to do with whether it's retroactive or it's future. Right? Even right now, the fact that the obligations are structured that Shimon owes to the kids who owe to him, or Shimon owes to Ruven who owes to him, so therefore it's a circle and it goes back to Shimon and he's able to collect, regardless of whether you say that it's retroactive or not. Or Mikan Ulahaba. So that's the, so in that case, Abayen Ravah, we can't show a contradiction in Ravah, because Ravah will say, in general, when a Balchov comes to collect collateral, so he is collecting right now. He didn't, owe, he didn't own it before. But here, it's a unique situation where the structure of the, the obligations is multi, 
step. There's two, more than one leg in the structure of the obligation, and that's why the money is able to go back to Shimon. Not because we're saying that it's as if the land that Shimon is giving to the kids belonged to their father all along. That's not what we're saying. But the obligation that Shimon had to the father is also an obligation back to himself. So therefore, he's able to pay himself back through the Yitomim. That's basically the way that it's going to work. Okay, now, now we, have, we have to go back to our case of the, uh, of the Chametz, finally. Okay? Rabbi, so, if he didn't sell it so then if he lost okay. if Shimon had the field taken away from him he has no recourse right if it's that means that it, whatever happens happens if somebody comes and takes it as a payment of a thing don't come crying to me I don't remember if I have any obligations who knows you know, don't come crying to me so that's called right so it, is what you want because it's like having title insurance basically if somebody comes and says this doesn't really belong to the person who sold it to you what do you do you know, they, 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 so that, that's, that's what had the protection there. So, in any case, so now, we learned in the Mishnah, if the non-Jew lends money to the Jew, okay, on the chametz of the Jew, so therefore the collateral is the chametz, so it's not, it's going to be as if the non-Jew owned it. So, according to Abaye, and now we get back to our actual case, right? If you, according to Abaye, that whatever I promise you, to pay off my debt, whatever my collateral is that I offer you, it's as if you have it already. So therefore, it's as if the non has it already. So then we understand, right? But according to Avahu, says that no, when a creditor comes and collects something, uh, an asset to pay off the to pay off the debt, that's happening right now. That didn't happen before. So the chametz actually belonged to the Jew all along. And now it's becoming the non-Jews. So how is he going to explain that? So It was in the Jews' possession all along. Until the non-Jew came to collect it at the default of the loan. So it says, It's only when Hirinu means that he gave it to him physically. In other words, he put the collateral in the possession of the non-Jew. The non-Jew said, I'm lending you $5,000. The Jew said, I'm going to give you um, Entenmann's cakes for uh, uh, collateral. He said, no problem. Or Dunkin' Donuts, whatever. Okay, very nice. But I want them in my house. You have to bring them in my house. And that way I don't have to go to the trouble of coming to get them from you, you know, just leave it here. And that's why it belonged to the non-Jew, because it was in his house all along. But if it were in the Jew's possession, and now the, it's called mechusar guvayna, it's called in, in, in the Talmud, which means that if the, if the, um, if the, the creditor has to go through a process of collecting on the loan, uh, collecting the, uh, you know, the collateral, so it's more complicated. So it really doesn't belong to him yet. But if I put it in his house already, so that the moment that that loan is over, then it's, it's if I didn't pay, it belongs to him. So then it, everything is done, right? So maybe it's really a machloket tanaim, that he sells to, that if the Jew sells to, I'm sorry, lends to the non-Jew al chametzo, on the chametz of the non-Jew, Okay, Mishum Rabbi Meir Omer Over, Amru Over. So it seems like a machloket, if the Jew lends to the non-Jew, based on the collateral of the chametz of the non-Jew, whether that is over or in over, whether it becomes chametz she'avar alav pesach or not. What do we say? So, right? So, my la behakam ipalgi. The easiest way to explain it is like the same way as Abaye and Rava. That according to the Chachamim, we say that it that when I when I collect on a collateral, it's happening right now. It doesn't make me the retroactive owner. Okay, and therefore, if I lent you something, um, if 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 a Jew lent to a non-Jew something, 
and now he's coming to collect the chametz. He didn't have the chametz during Pesach, so it's okay. And according to Rabbi Meir, no, uh, it's a uh, it's retroactive, like like what Abaye says. That that's the easiest way to interpret it. But with Tizbara, does it really work? Emas, they thought, what about the end of that brayta that says Aval Now, according to the latter part, if the non-Jew is the lender. Okay, and, uh, and, and it's on the chametz of the Jew. Divrea kol over. Everybody agrees that that is considered chametz that belong to the Jew. Now, why should that be? If the machloket here is whether there is retroactive acquisition or not, what difference does it make who the lender is and who the borrower is? It should be consistent. In other words, if, if there's a machloket, um, in the first case, with Rabbi Meir saying that it is considered chametz that belonged to the Jew because the because the uh, acquisition is retroactive, the creditor's acquisition of the collateral is re- retroactive, and the chachamim saying no because it isn't retroactive. So here it should be the opposite result. It should be that if the non-Jew co- uh, lent to the Jew, if you hold that it's retroactive, so then it belonged to the non-Jew the whole time, and it should be fine. And if it's not retroactive, um, the you know the way that the chachamim say, so then it should be it, it should be uh, bad because it belongs to the Jew the whole time and the non-Jew doesn't collect until the end, right? So why would it be that in the latter case everybody agrees that it's not a problem? That doesn't make any sense, right? So, uh, I'm sorry, that it is a problem. That doesn't make any sense, meaning that it did belong to the Jew. When the non-Jew lent to the Jew on the chametz of the Jew, that it's always considered a problem according to everyone. Why? If I say that it's retroactive, why can't I say the non-Jew actually possessed it the whole time? Why, why shouldn't it be the same logic? So it says, no, it should be reversed, right? The one that said over there, Eino Over, where the, where the lender was the Jew, said that it doesn't become his, should say here that it doesn't become the non-Jews. And, in the, and the person who said, Leman Damaratam Over, the one that said that it does become, the, that it is the possession of the Jews because it's retroactive, here should say, Hacha in Over. Here it shouldn't be a problem because retroactively it belonged to the non-Jew the whole time. Right? In other words, the position should stay the same, the principle should stay the same, and the results should switch. But it says, the Gemara says, We're again talking about where the borrower gave the collateral, physically transferred the collateral to the lender in advance. Okay? Now, how does that... They're arguing about the principle of Rabbi Yitzchak. Rabbi Yitzchak said that how do you know that a Balchov, a creditor, acquires the collateral? When they make the deal, because it talks about how the the person who has a mashkon of the poor person, he has a collateral of poor person. He has to bring it to him every night. His shirt, he has to bring it. You know, he has to uh, every every day, every night, has to bring his clothing, right? So that's it says This is tzedakah that you're doing. I Meaning, it really belongs to you, the mashkon. You don't have to give it. Right? So that means that it really belongs to you. So therefore, that's what they're arguing about. Right? So that's why it says, right? If it weren't for the fact that he actually becomes the, the owner of that item, so why is it tzedakah? So it says, So the question is, does that apply in the case of a Jew and a non-Jew, or only in the case of a Jew. So one says, Tanakama says, that that's a Yisrael mi Yisrael, we say that. So therefore, if a Jew were to lend to a, another Jew, then he becomes the possessor of the, uh, uh, of the Mashkon. Right? So that, so, it, it, however, Rabbi Meir says, uh, but it, it's not a halacha that applies in relation to a non-Jew. So therefore, if a Jew had lent money to a non-Jew and the non-Jew put the uh, the thing in his house, it will not be um, it will not be considered belonging to the Jew. 
Because this concept doesn't apply by Jew and non-Jew. Right? And Rebbe Meir says, what do you mean? Why should it be more lenient? In other words, if you're going to say that if I lend money to a fellow Jew, then whatever they give me as a collateral becomes mine, certainly if it's a non-Jew, it should be the same, Rabbi Meir says. Why should it be less? By, why should it be more strict by a Jew than a non-Jew? It should be the same rule that I become the possessor of the mashkon. So therefore, if I lend money to a non-Jew and he puts chametz on my property as the, as the collateral, it becomes mine, according to Rabbi Meir, just like it will become mine if a fellow Jew did it. Okay, that's the, that's the machloket. The Tanakhama is saying that halacha doesn't apply by a non-Jew, so it's still not mine. And according to Rabbi Meir, it does become mine. However, aval now it makes sense why everybody agrees in the latter case. If a non-Jew lends to a Jew al chametzo and the collateral is chametzo, we're not going to give extra rights to the Gentile against the Jew. So therefore, if the non-Jew lends money, even if I physically transfer my collateral into his... In, onto his property, okay, it doesn't become his, the mashkon, until the conclusion of the loan. So there, everybody agrees it was mine the whole time. So now we can understand. When the Jew lent to the non-Jew, there's a legit, and, and the non-Jew brought the the collateral of chametz and put it on my property, there's a machloket. Whether I become the possessor of that or not, um, uh, is, is, does that rule that, uh, that a balchov, that a creditor becomes a possessor of the collateral apply uh, between Jews and non-Jews when the Jew is the lender? That's a machloket. But everybody agrees if the non-Jew is the lender, it doesn't happen. And that, in this case, ends up being bad for the Jew because it ends up meaning that he owned the chametz the whole time instead of the non-Jew. Okay, Tanan, we learned another Mishnah. If a non-Jew lent the Jew money, uh, money on the chametz of the Jew, so after Pesach it's pu- permitted according to this. So nehi nami Didn't you just tell me that even if the Jew gives the chametz to the non-Jew and puts it on his property, that it still remains the possession of the Jew, and we don't say that the non-Jewish lender becomes the possessor of the uh, of the uh, of the item? So then, why does our Mishnah say otherwise? We have to introduce a new idea. Yeah, that there's a difference between when you present something and you say, Me'achshav, this is yours from now, you stipulate from the beginning a retroactive status, or if you don't, how do we, how do we know that Me'achshav is a key principle. If a non-Jew uh, gives as a collateral a, a gigantic bread, a very large bread uh, by, the, uh, by the Jew, and no over, he's not going to violate uh, he's not going to violate anything. But if he says it has reached you, then it will be a violation. Again, we're talking about the same thing, that the Jew lent money to the non-Jew, and the non-Jew said, uh, uh, you know, here's a, 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 some chametz to uh, cover the loan, and uh, if I don't pay. So in a normal case, it wouldn't become the possession of the Jew. According to the Tanakh Kama, we don't apply that rule. We don't say that it becomes the possession of the Jew. However, if he said, Higaticha, it has reached you. I reached you already, meaning I already paid you. So he's saying, Me'achshav, you will be the owner of this bread retroactively if I default on the loan. So now you have a problem because it's retroactive. It was stipulated as retroactive. And right? So what's the difference between the beginning and the end? The only difference is, Shema mean that, that it's, Le'achshav, that the difference is whether he said me'achshav from now or not shemamina. So you see from that that basically when a per, even in, according to the Tanakhama who says that if a Jew lends a non-Jew money and the non-Jew brings Entenmann's cakes, a lifetime supply of Entenmann's cakes and puts it on the Jew's property, it will not belong to the Jew automatically, even though that's the collateral for the loan. But if the non-Jew says me'achshav, 
This this is your this is coming to you now from now retroactively so that you know it says if you got it now so now if he defaults on the loan it says if the Jew owned it the entire time from the beginning and that would be a problem. The rabbi said finally if you have a store owned by Jews and the uh, the products in the store that are being sold are also belong to Jews and the and the workers are non Jewish so then they're going in and out of there so then any chametz found in there we assume it belonged to the owners of the property the owners of the store and it will be uh, asur definitely you can't eat it but if a non-Jew owns a store and owns all the products in the store the commodities are being sold but there are Jewish workers going in and out in that case we assume in other words we always assume that the owner of the store is the one who possessed whatever chametz is found in there after Pesach even if the workers are Jewish we don't assume they left their sandwich there we assume it belonged to the non-Jew that's the that's unless I guess proven otherwise so but it's very interesting how the relationship uh, the relationships of Dinema Monot because halachot of Pesach actually are very fascinating because they basically intersect almost every halachic subject matter um, comes into play because halachot of Kashrut are relevant to Pesach because you have to know all the halachot of Bitul and of pots and pans and all of this halachot of, of Kashrut and the halachot of Kinyanim you have to know who owns what, when, and what about a loan, and what about credit, who's considered to be the real owner, and so on. That's a, a very complicated issues in monetary law that are relevant. And even halachot of kiddushin. Did I own the, did I own the chametz? I, I did kiddushin with the chametz. Does it work or not? So that's sort of tangential because that's really about the kinyanim. It's really about ownership. But the point is that there's a lot of intersection. And even the halachot of Yom Tov and Shabbat are relevant to the, and the halachot of korbanot are relevant to Pesach because of, of, uh, of Korban Pesach, it, it intersects almost every area of um, uh, of halacha, and that's what makes it such an interesting uh, subject to learn. Have a great day.